It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michigan's news channel. You are listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where each week we're talking about financial planning issues that matter to you and help you take the next wise step in your financial life. Today, we have a difficult and complicated show. We are going to be talking about the difficult financial transition that many of us will face in our life of going from being married to single again. My name is Mike Bernard, and with me as always, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Glad they're here because I would not want to tackle such a heavy topic by myself. Uh, The three of us are financial planners at Corhorn Financial Group. We're glad to be with you this hour. Later in the show, we're going to be hitting listener questions, and we'd love to answer yours. If you have a question, you can submit it two ways. You can call our voicemail box, 574-222-2000, and leave your question and all the details right there on the voicemail. Or you can get more information about the show and submit a question online by going to wisemoneyradio.com. Lastly, I want to remind everyone, we do have a podcast out there. You can get the previous episodes right there on the website, or you can check us out on iTunes and all that. We're actually in a series right now. And if you've missed any of this series or missed previous episodes, I've referred clients and other people back to previous episodes as well. So check it out if you missed anything. We've got quite a few downloads out there, which is pretty exciting. So... Okay, guys, we are in the final show of the series that we've been doing the last seven weeks about the seven biggest life transitions that people face in their adult life and how to plan for them financially. Today's transition is a difficult one because it's both emotional and, I mean, has huge financial implications. So, Kevin, can you remind everyone about the seven transitions and open up today's discussion? Sure, Mike. The first one is going from school to career. So whether I'm finishing high school and going right into a career or whether I've gone to college and I'm beginning my career, it's school to career and the financial impacts uh, there. And then the next one is single to married, followed by married to parenting, followed by the college years. And then transition number five is empty nesters. I feel like these sound like TV shows, like 80s TV shows, the college years and then empty nester. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's fine. Um, (laughs) We'll, we'll get serious. That, that's fine, Cliff Huxtable. <laughs> so um, number five, the empty nesters. Number six, career to retirement. And number seven, married to single again. Which is the one we're going to cover today. So Josh was the insightful one. Again, he's the smart one. Kevin's the funny one. I'm the nerd. Josh is the smart one. He came up with this idea of these seven transitions. And when I first heard this last one, I I'm not, I, I wasn't too thrilled about talking about it or even thinking about it. I mean, who wants to think about themselves dying or a spouse dying or going through a divorce or something like that? And, but however, if I put my emotions in check, we've obviously helped a lot of people go through this big, difficult transition in their financial life. And oftentimes going through this transition, you have to make decisions. Even though emotionally you're just kind of tapped out, you can't cry anymore, you can't really see too many steps in front of you, you've got to make some huge financial decisions. It's pretty overwhelming and a very difficult stage. Well, it's not only difficult, but for many people, it can be an unpredictable stage. Right. The, you know, the way that we've walked through these seven transitions over the past seven weeks, you, you would almost imply 
that there's a natural order and that they kind of flow from one to the other. But this transition that we're talking about today has the potential to happen unexpectedly at any point in your marriage. And unfortunately, there are newlyweds out there that, you know, that you'd expect them to be happy and in love, but they end their marriage quickly after just a few months or a few years of of wedded bliss was what we would have thought. But maybe they found that trust had been violated or, you know, they discover something about their spouse that just makes them feel that they're incompatible. And so they end end the marriage. But even happy marriages can also end abruptly or way too soon. We all know of people who they don't get to, you know, stay married for an entire lifetime and grow old and wrinkly together. One of them I would have uh, for each of our listeners is that you would be preparing as if your marriage could end tomorrow because you lose a spouse but also be protecting your marriage as if it could end by divorce tomorrow as well. I told you he's a smart one. He is a smart one. I mean, really, if you're listening today, you fall into one of three categories. You've either never been through this transition, you're currently going through this transition, or you have already been through this transition. So this is a topic that applies to almost anyone out there who could listen. And quite honestly, a fourth category is you've never been through this, but you know someone who might be going through going through it right now. I think a lot of That's us are in, are in that camp. And it's times like these where, Josh, you mentioned, oftentimes this can come up unexpected. I mean, in almost every situation, it's a big shock. I would just revert back to this is why I believe so much in planning. It's not nearly as emotionally trying as this, but this past week I had a client who was informed that he was going to lose his job. And there was a fork in the road right ahead of him, and he didn't know exactly which path to take. But I was able to tell him, hey, you're prepared financially because we've been doing planning together for over three years. We know I know his financial life better than he does, and we know that he's ready because he's got the emergency fund in place and, and how he's been you know, managing his financial affairs. He's ready to go into this uncertain time. And so what are the big areas of someone's financial life that you should be looking at, I would say, you know, on a proactive basis before you reach a transition like this? What are the big areas of your financial life? Well, I think of your present financial position, because when you look at that and having a, a budget that works and having emergency cash reserves set aside, what I tell people when they've gone through some sort of emotional trauma and maybe lost someone to defer as long as they can making big financial decisions. Mm. So if it's a good idea today, it'll be a good idea 6, 12, 18 months from today. So if you can put that decision off, put it off. Now, if you haven't done any prior planning and kind of fixed the roof while the sun is shining, as they say, um, you're not you're not ready. You don't have the luxury of time to say, hey, I'm going to wait because the way I feel today is not how I'm going to feel tomorrow. And you want to wait um, to, you know, shock sometimes puts people in a certain state and it, it numbs them, if you will. Yeah. And you want to wait until that kind of wears off and then see how you feel. Because typically our our tendency is to say, okay, how I'm feeling today, and I'm going to project that forward. This is how I'm always going to feel. But you could wake up a month or two later and say, you know, I, I, I it's changed. 
Okay, so Josh, what do you think the the most important areas of someone's financial life are as they're in this stage? So if they're already in it, I, I guess I would piggyback on a little bit of what Kevin was saying there because you, you talked about trauma and words like shock, and I think those are the right words to be using. Losing a spouse, whether that's to death or divorce, I would think, and I've never lost a limb before, but I would think that losing a spouse is like losing a body part. And, you know, anyone who has the trauma of losing a limb, any doctor would say, well, the first priority is stabilize the patient, right? Make Mm -hmm. sure that the short term is, is taken care of. And for me, that is the present financial position, just like Kevin was saying. You need to be monitoring your cash flow really closely because you need to know, first of all, are the bills getting paid? Do you have the income that's coming in that you need? And do you need some sort of crash course in budgeting maybe to help manage the expenses? Because what if that other spouse was the one who managed all these things? And, uh, you know, for the first time, uh, maybe emergency fund becomes the top priority as far as uh, accumulating dollars and and whatnot. But the, the point is, is you've got to get your financial life Um, really shored up quickly. And then you can turn to some of the really important things like uh, checking to see how your tax picture is going to change. Yeah, I was going to state a couple obvious ones. And and the first area of someone's financial life that comes to mind is estate planning, right? You'll want to have that done. Hopefully, if you've had a spouse pass away, hopefully you had your estate plan, your will, and everything was updated and you had all the beneficiaries right If you've gone through a divorce, though, you're going to have to redo all that stuff. So that area of your financial life is extremely important. And so obviously is protection planning. Most notably is life insurance. Get that figured out on the front end. And if you've gone through this stage of maybe a divorce or you've lost someone, you've got to reevaluate your whole protection plan situation. Absolutely. You know, and you you frame that as something that you could be doing ahead of time as well. And I'm sure that in our next segment, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the preparation for this stage, but that's going to begin for sure with life insurance if you're preparing for the risk of losing a spouse. So we we'll talk are. about more. We are. We are coming right back with that. We're going to talk about what to do on the forefront of going from being married to single again, right here on Wise Money with Corvern Finance Group here on 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Good morning. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. My name is Mike Bernard and with me in the studio, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory and this silent but present Casey Hendrickson. Uh, Okay, if you're just joining us, we are talking about a very complicated financial transition that really almost all of us will face in our life. And that is going from being married to single again, or really losing a loved one and the financial ramifications of that, whether that's from death or divorce, something like that. Um, So we're just starting to dive into this topic, but I want to talk about, I mean, we're advisors. We give advice for a living and build plans. What are some practical steps or what's some advice that you'd give to people before a transition like this occurs so that they can navigate it with some financial success. Yeah, I tell people expect that there will be a transition at some point. You just don't know when that's going to be. So because we are financial planners, we would tell people, listen, have a plan. 
have a plan. A lot of times when when there are two spouses, one spouse is maybe more interested than the other one. And I would say- In finances in f- or interesting? So, <laughs> it's true in well, the core horn. Yeah. <laughs> Lori is Lori. by far your better half. Yes, she is. Um, uh, but, but more interested in finances? Yeah, more yeah. interested in, in and more attuned or maybe has more bandwidth to handle the, the finances and financial plan. But both spouses need to understand and for sure know that a plan exists, know what the plan is, and then really have a relationship with a trusted professional. Because in the event that the, uh, the eventual happens... You want to be prepared. So whoever the su- surviving spouse is, they want to deal with the, the finances so that there's not more, tra- there's already emotional distress. You don't want to have financial distress. You want to say, nope, we've we've planned, we've made our contingency plans. We know what's going to happen. And this is what we plan for. You imagine if you passed away and you had your wife, uh, marching into a stranger's office and all of a sudden they're supposed to trust this person with uh, new life insurance proceeds and all everything that you've accumulated together, all the big decisions. That, that would be a time when your wife would be the most vulnerable of her entire life. No doubt. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely, having the team of advisors in place, that could be the CPA, the insurance professional that you work with, the investment guru that they're going to trust, and, and certainly financial advisor. But The, the attorney. The attorney yeah, I had. The banker. Yep. Keep right on going. Yep. I had, as far as practical steps beforehand, is to review your estate plan and do something called a needs analysis on your life insurance or protection plan. As opposed to just using a, a rule of thumb saying, you know, I, I've seen out there, you just need to go buy eight times your salary worth of life insurance. Oh, I right? hate that idea. I've thrown up on the microphone when we talked about that last time. I just hate that idea. I, anyway, so you need a needs analysis. As a rule of thumb, you definitely need a needs analysis. <laughs> Good suggestion. Okay, you know, one more thing, though. Uh, we, we talked about leaving uh, your spouse behind with a, a team of strangers. There's an awful lot in your life, not just financial life, but just the day-to-day management of the household that you might be the one in charge of and they've never really messed with. They've kind of delegated it all to you. There's a term I learned uh, years ago. I I think it's called transactional memory. This is what psychologists would call this, but it's all the stuff that I don't bother to remember because my wife Andrea remembers it all. Mm -hmm. And if I lost her, it's like losing part of my brain. You know, knowing exactly, well, where is the kid's dental uh, office at? I've never been to it. I know the name, but, you know, uh, when um, when do the kids need to be updating their immunizations and, and stuff like that? Same thing with business partners. I'm looking at you guys, and, you know, if something happened to you, Kevin, obviously there's a lot of laughter gone from the office and, and there'd be tragedy there, but there's a whole bunch of stuff stuck in your brain that's not in our brain that gets lost. And so the more... Uh, the, the more um, ideas that you can have written down, thoughts and guides, if you will, instructions. I would even say manual. passwords or where to go get information. Well, that's yeah. hot off the presses right now is, yeah. your, is the passcode to get into your iPhone. Right. Because Apple isn't going to do it for you. If they're not going to do it for the government, <laughs> they're not going to do it for you. All right. So let's shift gears here. This was all, that was practical advice before something happened. What about, what would you say... If something's already happened, you've either had a divorce 
or your spouse has passed away, what's it, what's some advice that you'd give to help someone navigate that financially? Well, I, I wouldn't, I, I would, to help them navigate it, to help them navigate it, I would help them get started on the grief work and understand the stages of grief and the things that they need to do to deal with the the grief that they're going to be facing. And there's just a lot of, of, of just good old-fashioned hard work that's going to need to be done emotionally. And then I think once you've once you've done the heavy lifting emotionally, you're ready to deal with the finances. Because when people come in and and they're the, the tragedy is very fresh, it, it, finances don't really matter. I mean, that's right. You just sit there and you think, all right, well, we can talk about your finances, but that's not the most important thing right well, now. Well, they, they don't matter compared to the loss of that loved one, obviously, but your, your power to make great damaging decisions in your financial life is really heightened at this point because you're just more emotionally charged. You're not seeing as clearly because life is just happening in a fog right now. And so the advice that you gave earlier, I thought was just magical. You, you said, put all the major decisions on hold that you can. If you don't have to make this decision right now, then don't make it. For how long? A year. A year. At least least I'd say a year, 18 months. And one of the reasons why I tell people to do that is because when, when one of these events happens, a lot of times, especially if it's completely unexpected, what happens is people feel like everything is completely out of control. Oh, yeah. And so they're trying to control something. So they say, okay, well, I can take the life insurance proceeds and pay off the house. So I'm just going to do it. Yeah. We're talking, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the last big life transition in our series. And that is tragically going from being married to single again. I want to turn the attention to some of the big mistakes that people make. We were just talking about advice. What about big mistakes that people make in this transition? And let's first talk about if they go to being single again from a divorce. What are some big mistakes that people make? You know, one of them that I see, and this could be true of a divorce or a death, actually, and that is not adjusting lifestyle to the new realities of your financial picture. You know, they they keep on spending as though they're still a, a dual income family or they keep on um, you know, sticking to the same patterns in life because it's what was familiar. But unfortunately, especially in a divorce situation, you're, you're separating the family into two camps almost. And so often you'll have double, double the expenses, expenses, right? Yeah. Two housing expenses and uh, you know, maybe your insurance costs more and, and so on. But the, the point though is if you keep on spending as if that separation hasn't happened and those higher expenses haven't been forced into your life, then you could be running the ship aground and not realize it until it's too late. Yeah. And I think the idea is to redefine reality, like mm-hmm. you said. And, and one of the ways that I found helpful to help people do it, and we talked about the five stages of grief, and I'll just mention them, anger, denial, depression, bargaining, acceptance. And if you're in, if you're grieving and doing that work right now, what I would encourage you to do is just look up what are the, what are the five stages of grief or what is the grief work to be done? Identify where you are. Cause if you're not at acceptance, it's going to be really hard to redefine reality. Mm-hmm. I've also seen, I've also seen with divorce, spending is usually out of control while the family is kind of being torn apart. And then through that process, you can incur just a whole bunch of bills that you never really anticipated. But all of a sudden, you've got a big credit card bill, ten grand, 
and yeah. or so, attorney bills that yeah. have just really piled up. All right, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna continue talking about mistakes here in just a minute, both on divorce. There's a couple more we want to hit, but also mistakes if you are recently a widow or widower. So we've got that coming up as long along with listener questions here on Wise Money with Corhorn Finance Group here on 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name is Mike Bernard, and with me as always is Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. We're talking about, actually, this is the last series in a seven-week series we've been doing about the biggest life transitions people make and how to plan for them financially. And we're talking about the last one, which really isn't the last one in this kind of uh, chronological order. It really could spring up at any time. And that's going from being married to single again. Whether you whether that happens because of, a, a, of your spouse passing away or whether you have faced a divorce. We were just talking at break, actually, that, yeah, I mean, talking about this, we're not condoning divorce by any means. Uh, however, it happens and, and it has big ramifications on people's financial lives. We were talking about the mistakes that people <laughs> often make with divorce and uh, financial mistakes. And there was a big one that I didn't get a chance to mention in the last segment, and that is splitting up retirement assets. Now, this is normally done by going through court order, getting attorneys and saying, all right, here's how we're going to divvy things up. But when it comes to pre-tax retirement accounts, I've seen a lot of people come into the office having admitted, hey, I I did this wrong, or this is what I did. Was that right? A lot of attorneys don't know this, that you don't just take half of your IRA or half of your 401k, cash it out, and give it to your spouse. If you do that, you're going to pay a bunch of tax and probably some penalty as well. There is an actual document, a court order that you can have filled out where it actually creates an allowance, if you will, within the IRS where you can transfer half of your IRA or whatever it is to your spouse while still avoiding or deferring the taxes on that. What I'm referring to is a quadro or a qualified domestic relations order. And again, most attorneys, some big name attorneys in town here didn't advise their clients that way. And they came in to see us and they're still paying on this huge tax bill. Wow. Yeah. Add insult to injury there, huh? Right. So, so to me, I, I wanted to make sure we circle back to that mistake because I see that happen oftentimes. You know, there's another one that I've observed um, with, especially couples that are going through a divorce, because again, this is an emotionally charged topic, just like losing a spouse to death would be. But I was having a conversation with a client who was going through a divorce and had some young children, and she was talking through the big parts of the divorce decree. And when she got to college funding, she said that according to the divorce decree, she had to pay for half the kid's school and her ex-husband also had to pay the other half. And basically implying that the kids didn't have to pay anything, which I knew for a fact was not the original game plan when they were married. The original game plan was, hey, we're going to maybe collectively as a couple uh, pay for half and we want our kids to be on the hook for half. Interesting. And so somehow, you know, baked into to all this uh, divorce decree was the requirement that she did half by herself and her husband did the other half. 
And, you know, I, I was almost irritated by this. Like, wh- how did the attorneys force this in there? And she actually um, stopped me and said, you know, I, I'm actually good with this part of the divorce decree because the statistics are, according to her, she had read a book that said that it's kids going through the uh, a family or in a family that's going through a divorce, they're more likely to slip through the cracks and not really get much help at all for college. Oh, I, I've seen plenty of examples of that happening. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, letting the kids slip through the cracks is one of the mistakes, but then the other extreme would be letting the guilt that, hey, man, we've, we've just kind of torn our kids apart here. They're living out of two houses now. And so because of that, we'll spend money more freely on the kids to try to offset it with some sort of creature comforts or, or whatever. And, and in doing so, they're letting guilt drive their spending, which rarely is, is a, a positive thing yeah. in your financial life. Yeah, tough. All right, let's turn and talk about some of the common mistakes for widows or widowers that, that people make. And we've already mentioned it a couple of times, but I've had several experiences. We're, we're blessed to serve a lot of widows and widowers. And I'm, I, we're honored to be there for them in really a time of great financial need. And, uh, and the most common one is making a decision. The most common mistake is making a decision too soon. And oddly enough, what's coming to mind is it's usually the house decision. It's usually yeah. a big, and that can be costly, using a realtor or, or whatever. I mean, not even using a realtor. Maybe just saying, I've got to ditch this house, so I'm going to sell it kind of fire sale, if you will. And I think that's a huge mistake that widows or widowers make. Now, I get it. If something happened to my wife, it would be so difficult to come into that same house, sit at the same kitchen table. It would be so difficult. But setting those emotions aside for a second, financially making a rash decision with an asset as big as a house could be a huge mistake. You might wind up moving twice. That's right, because mm-hmm. you don't really know what your life is going to look like a year or two years down the road. You don't know how your patterns and your groups of friends and, and things like that are going to change. And so where should you live is is a decision. It's a lifestyle decision that you make in the context of your overall life. And your whole life is turned upside down right now. So how could you possibly know where you should live, right? Yeah. And so the risk is in an effort to just take seize control, as Kevin was saying earlier, make uh, you know, some sort of decision that makes you feel like you have control in an out-of-control situation, you may buy the wrong house and be moving again. And houses are just way too expensive to buy and sell to make mistakes in that area. Yeah, and this, is, this really is why you want to have already chosen your experts wisely, and then you, you, you need to be willing to receive advice. So we tell people, work, turn to your planner. Turn to your, make sure your planner is certified. So make sure you're working with a certified financial planner. Other mistakes that I've seen is people, there, there becomes an urgency to give some money away and yeah. give money away before I've got a plan. So I, I, something has happened. I'm going to take control. I'm giving money away, but I don't have a plan that says I can, I can make it last. I can make my money last with what's left over after I've given money away. That's right. It's, it's especially true when a big sum of lump or of uh, life insurance w- was received. And, you know, again, you may feel guilty or you may feel almost obligated to give money to your kids, even adult kids, uh, just simply because, well, you received money for losing a spouse. 
they lost a mom or a dad as well. So yeah, shouldn't they have some? But the whole reason for that life insurance originally was to care for you for the rest of your days. There's some sort of a financial hit that you've taken and you're using life insurance as a way to offset that major risk. And now it's actually come true. You've actually received the money. Now you need to use it to uh, make these dollars last as long as they need to. Another thing that I've seen is making decisions before I've I've passed it through the grid of my tax plan. Ah, good yeah. point. Because Your tax picture changes. It, it, it sort of stays the same for a year, and then it changes tremendously. Good point. It, well, it changes because you go from filing a married joint return with all of their uh, tax deductions and tax brackets to filing a single individual's return with half of the, the amount of income uh, setting the, the target for those those uh tax brackets, if you will. So it doesn't take as much income to jump into higher brackets once you're filing as a single individual. The only exception to that, by the way, is if you have uh, dependent children at home and you can file for two more years as a qualifying widow or qualifying widower, just means you get to file as if you're uh, still married, even though you uh, have lost your spouse. And the other thing that kind of, we're talking about mistakes here, but but that just comes into play as I hear you talk about taxes is social security is if you had, well, maybe if you've lost a spouse later in life near your age 60 or 62, you've got some big social security decisions or basically a decision's going to be forced upon you. And then same thing if you have minor kids, you've got to figure out, you're going to possibly be receiving social security for them. Um, and you've got to figure out what to do with it and whether that Mm -hmm. has tax consequences and all of that. So big decisions, big issues. And again, you know, this is not a shameless plug just because we've helped so many people. But if you're in this spot, we want to help you. And you don't have it. If you have a financial planner, talk to them. Make sure they're coaching you through this. If you don't, though, we're here to help. Corhorn.com, K-O-R-H-O-R-N.com, or give us a call at 574-247-247. Five eight nine eight. It's not a shameless bug. We we want to help you if you're facing this. So we've got listener questions coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Finance Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keen, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Today's episode has all been about going from being married to single again, and it's a tough thing to talk about financially, certainly emotionally, If you missed anything and you're facing this transition yourself or know a loved one who has, check out the podcast. It's on iTunes. It can also be found at wisemoneyradio.com, and you can get the link there to all the previous episodes, including this one. So if you missed anything, tune in there or any other episode. We are going to be hitting listener questions now. We've got a couple good ones here. If you have a question for the show, we want to answer it. So you can leave a question right there on the website as well wisemoneyradio.com. The question section's right on the right. You won't miss it. Or if you're driving, we actually had someone uh, comment on this saying, oh, I was dri- I had a question I was driving. So people call into the voicemail box uh, pretty often. So that phone number is 
2000. That's a voicemail box. You just leave your question, all the details right there in the voicemail. So, okay. First question comes from John from Granger. My dad has an account listed in his and his wife's name with the letters J-T-W-R-O-S after it. Do you know what that means? Yes, we do. It means joint with rights of survivor or survivorship. Yeah. And uh, it, it basically means that your dad and his wife, I guess is how John described this. Uh, so this probably woman. not his, his mom. I, I assume not. Um, so this is your dad and your stepmom. They own uh, this house or whatever it is together jointly. Um, it, it must be an account. An account. If if they if one of them passes away, then the surviving spouse receives it automatically. And I say automatically, but there's really some paperwork involved in in getting it into that surviving spouse's name. But the point is, it doesn't go through your will. There's no questioning who's going to receive this money. It's it's automatic. And it, it brings up an interesting issue, though, because what happens at the second death? Mm-hmm. And just, again, I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but the fact that this seems to be a second marriage, it it, it highlights one of the issues that we've, we haven't actually hit on today's show. We, we've been talking about uh, what happens when you go through the transition of losing a spouse, either to death or divorce, but what happens then when you get remarried? There's all kinds of implications that come with a second marriage. And I, I, I'm, again, reading between the lines, but I wonder if John um, is hitting on something here. What happens when uh, one of the spouses dies, it goes to the survivor, who gets the money at that second death? So let me just paraphrase here. You're, you're saying, so let's, let's pretend this account that he's referring to is an investment account, a brokerage account. Sorry, sorry for the jargon, Josh, but it's say a hundred thousand dollars, and it was his and mom's, and mom died. Dad got remarried and put his new wife on it, and you're saying because it's now held in a joint account with his new wife, if he, if Dad passed away, this hundred thousand dollars that Dad and Mom saved up wouldn't go to John, the listener. It'd go, go to, to Mom, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and ultimately she could then leave it to her whoever she wants, uh, you know, according to her will, or if she adds beneficiaries to the account, uh, it's possible that John gets disinherited. Well, and and I'm not bringing that up that, oh, this is a bad thing, buddy, you're getting cut out. No, I'm just saying you need to plan. I think that's That's what John's question is, but the family needs to know what's what's going on. Kevin, I cut you off. What were you going to say? Well, it's an undivided interest. So, John, it could... That money could be accessed, 100% of it could be accessed by your dad, 100% of it could be accessed by your stepmother at any point in time. And I was just dealing with this where a, a father wanted to put uh, some money into a joint account with his daughter, and he wanted uh, the it to be such that there would be two signatures required, and one of the custodians that we work with, Fidelity, Fidelity says, look, we, we don't want to be on the hook for making sure that there are two signatures for a joint account. So one signature is sufficient in order to access all the money. And dad says, well, wait a minute. If my daughter on her signature can get all the money, that's a problem. But mm-hmm. you know what? Your daughter, through a phone call, can get access to all the money. You'll find out, but you just might find out too late. Mm-hmm. So it, these are these are interesting things to think about. Again, when you think about joint with rights of survivor, you think about an undivided 
interest. And so that's why I'd say be careful about who you have a, a joint ownership of assets with. So what would be one of the alternatives to that? You know, rather than have an account with your child's name on there with you, uh, if you want them to be able to help with your bill paying or something like that, is, is there another way that you would recommend as opposed to doing this joint ownership? Well, it, it, I guess there's a number of situations here we could we could think about. Is is the daughter a child that you're trying to get have them get some financial experience and they could be immature, so you want to be on the account? Or is it, Josh, like you referenced, where you're older in age and you want to make sure that your child is listed on the account to help you manage your affairs? I think that's very different. One potential could be uh, having a power of attorney, right, Josh? I mean, uh, Right. I mean, uh, that's the one that I see most often where uh, mom or dad, they add their adult child to the account so that that child can pay the bills for them or at least uh, interact with the banker on their behalf. But a power of attorney would accomplish the thing, the same thing. That's a document that you draft giving someone permission to transact business for you. But I've, I've also seen some people add that adult child because they want the money to go to that child when they pass away, just right. like in, in John's dad and stepmom situation. And I, I was thinking of the TOD, transfer yeah. on death. You can add that to an investment account. I think in the banking world, they call it a POD, payable right. on payable. death. But yep. same thing that, hey, when I pass, I want this money to go directly to this person. I want it to bypass my will and everything. I want it to go directly to said person. And you'd add a TOD or POD on that account. And that's really important to put in place. You know, a lot of people don't realize that when you're opening a 401k at work or you invest money in a, a different retirement account, built into all that paperwork that you sign when you're open, opening the account is a beneficiary designation. You get to decide who's going to receive this money when you pass away. But a bank account that just has your name on it, it does not have a place to add a beneficiary unless you intentionally go at it using that document that you just uh, referred to, Mike, a payable on death. Okay, so if you're just joining us, we've been talking about on today's show the issue of going from being married to single again, and now we're into listener questions. So we're actually talking about something like that, kind of the the seventh transition, part B, going from married to single to married again and some of the complexities there. We've got another question here from Corey in Edwardsburg. My company offers a 401k at work, but I've been reluctant to save into it because of the recent stock market performance. Is there a different option I can use to save up for the future? Well, certainly there is, Corey. There are lots of different choices that you have as far as where and how you save your money. The thing that I would consider, first of all, is does your 401k at work have a company match? Absolutely. Because if there's a company match, you've got to take advantage of it. We, uh, I was just looking at a study. $24 billion is left on the table by employees who are not receiving the full company match. Oh, that is heartbreaking. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, Corey, make sure, check in to, to see whether or not there's a company match with the 401k. If there is, you have to put at least that amount in to take advantage of the match. The other thing I'd say is if you're, let's say you haven't fully uh, beefed up on the habit of saving I would still consider using the 401k because it comes right out of your paycheck before you even get an opportunity to spend it. We've said before on the show, we like people saving 
a percentage of their gross income. If you're just starting out, that should be 15%. If you haven't been saving and you're a little bit older, it probably needs to be higher than that. But having the money go directly into a 401k, you can easily state, yep, I want 15% taken right off the top, going to my 401k, just give me the difference or give me what's left and I'll spend that. You know, I would also keep in mind that that same 401k most likely has some safe investment options inside of it. It it has certainly stock market oriented, very growth oriented investments as well. But if you're really very scared of the stock market or you don't understand it, you feel like you want to take less risk, you can still save into that 401k, but just not be as aggressive with the investments. However, I think that, you know, depending, do we know Corey's age? No. Doesn't look like it. No. Depending on your age and how long you have before retirement, actually investing more aggressively might make a lot of sense. You want to invest in the things that are down in value. What's the oldest adage in investing? Buy low, sell high, right? So the the buy low stage is what most people shy away from because, you know, they're fearful that they're going to just throw money into this account and it's going to go to zero or something. Yeah. He, he framed the question as if it was a, a, uh, a, well, it's really an investment decision because of the stock market being risky, how you choose to invest, not where you invest, 401k versus IRA or something like that. So good question, Corey. Thanks. Hopefully that was helpful. Guys, that's all the time we have uh, for today. If you missed anything, check out the podcast or go to wisemoneyradio.com. On behalf of myself, I want to thank you for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. We'll see you next week here on 95.3 MNC. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.